Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Last week, we started off a brand new series. It's kind of like an extension from our Vision Sunday, but it's called Shining Through. And it's talking about the history, the genesis, and the growth and maturation of the church. And for most of us, we don't really have a great understanding of the history of the church. You know, we're part of the church. We belong to the church. We're in the church right now. But we don't really have a nuanced understanding of how the church grew what happened through the years. And, and so today we want to dive in, and I hope you got to see episode one. If you went with us, it's still available on YouTube and Facebook, so you can check that out. So today we're going in a little bit deeper into our exploration of the church. And I hope that you'll lean in a little bit more and get a broader understanding of why the church exists. You know, it's important for us to understand why we gather. Is it just because we do a routine Or is some greater significance to that? And of course, God has every intent at at the heart of it. And the church exists because it was designed, planned, instituted, and given birth by Jesus himself. And so today we want to get into episode two, and it's called The Gathering. And we'll explore what that means in just a moment. Now, let me tell you about my first experience going to church. I'm sure all of you have had an experience, unless you were grown up in church. And, you know, I grew up in a, you know, not a really Pentecostal sort of environment of church. It was a different sort of environment. I came from a, you know, a Church of God sort of background, which was more an English background and, you know, was a Protestant sort of thing. And so my church experience consisted of going to church maybe once a year, twice a year if I was really dragged there. And I considered myself to be a Christian, you know. And that hour of service that I had to go to, forced to go to at Christmas or Easter, whatever it was, was a real pain. It felt like, you know, time was just standing still. It didn't move the way it was supposed to normally move. It just just moved in in a really slow motion. You ever had time where it moved in slow motion? You're like, come on, move. (laughs) But it didn't move. That was my church experience, you know. But one time... I started working at this store. I used to be work in a retail environment, and a friend invited me to church. And, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to go. And so my first experience with a church was amazing. And I'm talking about the church like us, the real church. And when we got there, it was amazing. There was singing like we had this morning. You know, there's people greeting one another as we do. There's amazing things happening. All of this is happening. Uh, the pastor got up and he preached and he talked about God and he talked about this thing and it was amazing. You felt like there was life in there. You saw the vibrancy, things were happening. But if you ask me what the pastor preached about, I can't tell you right now. I don't even remember what it was. That wasn't what stayed with me. You know, what stayed with me was the love, the generosity, and the embracing of the people in the place. That's what stayed with me. That's what resonated with me beyond just what was happening. That's what I took away with it. And if you ask people who come to church really for the first time, what was really important to you? What did you take away? Most of them, 99% of them say, it's the people in the place that greeted me, that 
you know, embraced me, that made me feel loved, made me feel part of what was happening. And the amazing thing is that we don't see God physically, but he manifests through his people. And so it's God greeting everyone, embracing everyone, and welcoming them home just as much. And so it's important for us to understand that the church is an amazing place. It is the physical representation of a heavenly idea. More than that, though it is heaven's expression of God's purpose. The church is to bring people together to celebrate the freedom, the liberty that was purchased for us by Jesus. That is what brought the church to life. And more than that, to build genuine relationship with each other, with fellow believers, to encourage Christ followers, to strengthen, to equip, to really take us to a new place and a new level, and to display God's unending love, not just to people inside, but especially to those that are outside, to demonstrate who God is. Amen? And that's the master plan, which is so amazing, and it's powerful, and it's somehow been warped into something different over time. It's not what Jesus actually planned. You know? And through the centuries, I believe the church has lost some of its potency, some of its power, because it's kind of veered off a little bit off course to what Jesus originally intended it to be. And so this morning, I want to show you and and talk a little bit about the genesis of the church and where we started. You know, if you can't define the true purpose of a thing, it loses some of its potency and essence. But when Jesus talked about the church, he was passionate. When Jesus had his ministry, he went around from place to place, from town to town, from village to village. There was something vibrant about Jesus. He was attractive to people, wasn't he? People would come from all sorts of places and from different areas. They would follow him. They would sit down and listen to him talk. And they would want to really be with him constantly. He was attractive to people. And so by extension, the church of Jesus Christ should be just as attractive. People should want to be part of this great thing called the church. One thing that Jesus was, was that he was mobile. He was never stationary. He didn't sit in one place and expect other people to come to him. He went to different places. He went to different towns, as I said, into different cities. He went to where the people were. He was never in one place for much longer. In fact, when they said, Jesus, please stay with us, you know, stay here. We want you to be here. Let's make you a king. He said, no, I can't stay because there's other places I need to go to because they need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus didn't establish a building. He started a movement. And it's part of the core message and the purpose to take that message to everyone. The kingdom to everyone, to every place. That's what Jesus intended to do. That was his core message. Yet, when you contrast the way Jesus did things to the way the modern church does things, it seems like it's vastly different, doesn't it? It's not the same model. If you're building the model of Jesus' 
vision of what he designed, it's a vastly different thing to where we are. We are stationary. We are fixed to a location. We expect people to come to us. We think that only a few people are qualified or should do or should be able to do things. You know. And if we show up just a few hours every week, if we show up on a Sunday, then we are checked in. And that's it. We can go back to our Monday to Saturday routine. We can live our lives disconnected from what we are supposed to do or called to do. We can go to work. We can talk to people. But then we come in on a Sunday. We check in and it should be okay. That's our view. We don't necessarily want to go out there and share our faith. We don't definitely want to go out there and display our faith. In fact, to talk to someone about our faith is sometimes considered to be offensive because we don't want to offend someone. So I'm just going to keep it to myself because it's a private thing. It's a private faith. And this is just so far for what Jesus meant when he talks about his church. It's not what he planned. And it's no wonder that when most people think about church, they think it's a place they need to go to rather than a movement that they're part of. See, that's church. Their conception of it is that church is a building. It's a place that you go to, you bring people to. But Jesus and his movement was mobile and fluid And it has many hands and many feet. The church is not a location. The church is people. Let me take you back a few hundred years when Jesus walked this planet. He and his merry men and disciples, they were traveling through a region called Caesarea Philippi. It was... An interesting place, Herod had built a magnificent white stoned edifice to the emperor at the time, Caesar Augustus. And everyone under Roman law or under Roman authority had to come to this place to worship their god king. That was a requirement. And as Jesus was walking through Caesarea Philippi at that time with the disciples, they would have come across this huge temple, glistening white, In the day sun. That's what it was designed to do. So people can look at it. And Jesus looked at this. And perhaps this is what started this conversation. Because here Jesus wanted to express. And display a a massive contrast. To what was happening. To what he was going to do. And so he turns around to his disciples. And he begins to have a conversation. And it's an amazing conversation. And contained in it is a prophetic utterance to you and to me. And so Matthew 16 verse 13. Jesus says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He, he turned around and he asked his disciples. Who do people say the son of man is? He says so, so what's the word in the street boys? What's happening? What's my reputation? And so they tell Jesus what they've heard. You know, it turns out there are many ideas about who Jesus was. And so there was a great debate going on about who he was, what his identity was. Was he a teacher? Was he a prophet? Was he a rabbi? Was he the resurrected John the Baptist? Was he a a prophet of old like Jeremiah that had come back to life? Maybe Elijah? And so they told Jesus what they heard. 
But the question was going around was, who is this guy really? The disciples really responded to what they'd heard about him from all the crowd that had gathered and they'd been interacting with. But then Jesus turns around and asks them a second question. And I think this is a question that every single one of us have to wrestle with, whether we believe in him or not. And verse 15 says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Ultimately, every single one of us through history have to respond to this question. Who do you say Jesus is? It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter even what your family says. Who do you say he is? Peter, of course, the the great young upstart, you know, the bold one, the rough one, this rough fisherman, he responds quickly because he wants to impress Jesus. And he says this, Simon answered in verse verse 16, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, You are the prophesied one. You are the anointed one. You are the one. Jesus replied in verse 17, He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this information... This understanding was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. No one told you this, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This was a prophetic utterance. That was amazing because he talks about you and me. Did you know that? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying he's going to build his church. And we, you sitting here right now, are part of this prophecy that Jesus said that many years ago. You are the fulfillment of that prophetic utterance. And it was an extraordinary statement. Some of us don't understand the gravity of what it is. This was the announcement of something brand new. Something like this had never happened before. It was certainly not like this hideous temple that they were looking at. This was a brand new thing. Here was the contrast to what Jesus was seeing and talking to his disciples about. Something new was going to happen. Something new was on the horizon and was going to be his movement. Not what was around. Jesus predicted he would build it and nothing, even death, would stand in its way. This is what he talked about. Further, the more important thing that Jesus talked about was the unifying factor that made people part of the church was the belief that Jesus is the Christ. The son of God. That's what made you become part of his church. It's the understanding of who he is. It's a revelation of who he really is. Not just what other people thought he was. But who he really was. And this was to become this radical movement. Not tied down to any location. But a mobile organism that began to grow, flourish, sustain, build.
built and given life by Jesus himself. And here's what you might not know. Even though this is the first time in the New Testament, in the scriptures, where you see the word church, this is the first time it appears, it is not the word that Jesus actually used. Where the English translation of our scriptures is a word-for-word translation from the Greek, the word church is actually a substitution, not a replacement. The English word for church is a derivative from the German word Krishi. And Krishi means house of the Lord. But Jesus did not say house of the Lord. He used a different word. Some of you may know it. He used the word ecclesia. But what Jesus was predicting was exactly opposite to house of the Lord. Remember he was looking at this temple... And he talked to disciples where people had to come to. He wasn't saying, I'm going to build another house so people can come to. He was saying, I'm building an ecclesia, a movement that is beyond a location. That is what he was saying. In fact, Jesus said this about the Jewish temple. You might remember. He said, you know, many years, not many years from now, what one stone is going to be left upon the other. It's all going to be brought down. It's going to be destroyed. You see, because God was pretty much through with houses and buildings. He wasn't talking about houses and buildings. He was talking about something better, grander, more vast in scope, something that was eternal. Do you know what it was? Acts 7.48 says this. However, the Most High does not live in houses made of human hands. He was not interested in brick and mortar. He was not interested in walls. He was interested in something far more reaching than that. The scripture says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God wanted to live not in brick and mortar, but in living hearts. That was what it was. So it wasn't going to be a building. It was going to be people that were mobile and this movement would spread across the world. It wasn't about constructing another building. The word ecclesia is actually not a religious term. It is used to refer to citizens gathering for civic purposes. You know, it was used in a similar circumstance where soldiers gathered together going off to war. That was the ecclesia. And an ecclesia is simply a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. And so when Jesus said ecclesia, he's saying, I'm going to choose people, call them out for my purpose. And upon the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build this movement that's going to have a global impact, that's going to reach people, touch lives, transform society. I'm not going to build a house for you to come to. I'm going to build a movement that reaches the world. That is what he was talking about. And this is super important. What Jesus' disciples understood when he said this was, I'm going to build my own assembly, my own gathering of people, and the foundation of that assembly will be me. That is what they understood he was talking about. But through time, we've become interpreted to something else. 
We've thought it's, it's a building you go to on a Sunday. That's not what he meant. It's far from what he meant. The church exists every day because you are the church. The church gathers every day because where you gather, the church gathers. The church reaches across the world because where people that are called under the revelation of who Jesus is, is the church. He was never talking about a specific location. In fact, he's showing them a contrast to what was there they could see, to what he was talking about that was completely different. This is about a gathering, not a building. You don't have to go to a place to meet me, he's saying. You don't have to gather a specific time to encounter me. You can encounter me every moment of every day, whether in your, your, your house, whether you're on the street, whether in the bus, whether in your car, you can encounter me. You don't have to come to a place to meet me anymore because I'm going to be in you and you in me. But that doesn't mean we don't gather. We gather together not because we come to meet God. We gather together to build each other up. It's a whole different purpose. And so he says, you're going to carry my mission. You're going to carry my essence, my mission, which is the church. And how vastly a different understanding that is to what we think church is. We often say, I'm going to church. Right? What did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. Would you come with me to church? We often think, even though we might not even understand it in that way, our vernacular, our mode of language, our, our way of talking means it's a place we go to. And that's not what Jesus intended. It's completely different to what he designed. I want to show you a different example, and maybe you might see it in a new light. But here's a, the same word used again. But it wasn't translated the same way give you an example. One day, many years later, after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul, who was a great apostle, you know, he had been converted to Christianity by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. He had this encounter with the resurrected Christ. And so he becomes this passionate follower of Jesus. And he wants to go around, just like Jesus said, everywhere talking about who Jesus is. He's not confined to a location. He's going around. And so one day, he ends up in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And he found himself there talking to all the people in the market square. And Ephesus had this big temple of Artemis. And so a lot of people in that area, the, tra the tradesmen, the craftsmen, they were there because they constructed idols for worship in this temple. So people would come and they would buy idols. And so many people heard this amazing speaker named Paul speak. And many of them, a lot of them abandoned their idol worshiping ways and came to faith in Jesus Christ. But that was a problem because the economy of Ephesus began to suffer. Because no one was buying any of these idols anymore. Because they're putting it away. There's a problem here. You're disrupting our economy. You're disrupting my life. You're disrupting how I make money. It all comes down to money in the end. And this was a disaster. The local tradesmen, because they made li their living making these idols, were kind of going out of a job. And so... In response to this, a silversmith named Demetrius called a meeting of all the idol manufacturing guild, the other tradesmen in the related areas as well, and he expressed their concerns. And the next thing you know, there was a huge riot. Seems like normal. 
Luke, who was a witness to all of this drama, claimed that the whole city went in an uproar. This is what he says in Acts 19, verse 23. It says this, About the time there rose a great disturbance about the way. Now, before Christians were called Christians, they were called people of the way. They weren't given the identity as Christians yet, and they were called people of the way. So it says, There were great disturbances described about people of the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with workers in related trades, and he said, You know, my friends, that we have received good income from this business. And you see now and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Paul was doing an amazing job, right? Speaking about Jesus. He says, speaking about Paul, that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. You understand that, but that was radical for them at the time. Gods made with human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only to our trade, we lose its good gain or good name, but also that temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. It's, it's just an easy way of saying, hey, I'm losing my paycheck, but also let's think about the, you know, the trade. He, he didn't care about the temple. He just cared about his money. But he just threw that in because he wanted to stir people up. Right? So he says, the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. What a tragedy. When they heard this, they were furious. How dare this guy Paul do this? Right? And they began shouting, Great as Artemis of Ephesus. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The genesis of a riot. The people seized Gaius and Arceus. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed into the theater. It's not a movie theater. You know, it's a gathering place. They all rushed into the theater together. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not know why they were there. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. That was what was happening. Quick quiz. You ready for a quiz? All right. Do you see the church in that scripture? Do you see? Most of you probably say no, or you're just embarrassed to say yes. It's there though. It's right there. Maybe you just didn't recognize it. Right? Don't be confused. Luke is talking about Ecclesia. Remember, Ecclesia is assembly or gathering. That's the same word that Jesus used. But here, it was translated assembly. But when Jesus said it, they translated it as church. But it's the exact same word in the Greek. So this is how it would read if we had substituted the way they did In Matthew, Acts 19, verse 32, it says this, The church was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Sounds about right, because I've been to many church meetings, and that's exactly how it is. (laughs) Most people are shouting, they don't know why they're there. (laughs) 
But that word in Acts is translated ecclesia, which means gathering. But here it's translated. So if you just substitute the same word, it says the church. But it wasn't the church, it was just a gathering. A civic gathering. And that's the same word Jesus used. It's a gathering, not a building. I will build my gathering and the gates of hell will not prevail against this movement. Because I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to build it. I'm going to strengthen it. You see, early Christ followers, they didn't worship in a place. They gathered from home to home. They had something called love feast, which was just, you know, ancient for bring a plate. They gathered together. They sang hymns. They talked about God. They talked about Jesus. They talked about why they're called to do it. They talked about their mission, where they're going to go, what they're going to do, how they're going to talk about Jesus in various places. That's what they did from place to place, right? So what happened? What happened? What happened to this movement that now changed over time, you know? Well, the reality is that it's a sad, dark story. It is. It's a sad story of the history of the church, and it's filled with nefarious people, atrocities, quest for power, murder, all kinds of horrible things. If you have time, read about it. But I'll give it to you a brief synopsis so you can understand. In 313 A.D., Emperor Constantine became emperor of Rome. You know, and he legalized Christianity. Christianity went from this movement that was alien and everyone was ostracizing it to becoming the legal religion. And as soon as it became the legal religion, he he established places for people to go to. And so rather than being, you know, ecclesia, it became cliche. It became a location that people had to go to. And anytime it became a location, then people could own it, and people began to own the building. It was about power and control. It moved from a movement, and within a decade, there was no longer any ecclesia. It was just cliche. It just became a place. And in a decade, the movement that Jesus originated moved from a mobile organism that spread and talked about to a location people had to go to. And what began as a movement dedicated to carrying the truth of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world became an insider-focused institution that bore little resemblance to its originator. Dark times were ahead. These were the dark days of the church where many atrocities were committed in the name of the church. People were murdered. People were killed. People were done horrible things to. It's a little wonder that church survived. But it did because Jesus promised it would. In 1522, there was a spark of hope in the form of William, William Tyndale. Many of you might know him. He was a clergyman who took on the great task of translating the text into English. The reason he wanted to do this was he wanted every man, woman, and child to have access to the words of Jesus. But you know what happened? The church and the government made Tyndale an outlaw because they did not want him to have the scriptures 
in everyone's hands. Ordinary people could read it now. And when ordinary people began to read or had to read, they would have discovered that the priests, the people in charge, were no longer necessary. Because that's not what Jesus organized. That's not what he talked about. They would be mute. And so they were scared they'd lose their power. And so they declared William Tyndale an outlaw. They hunted him down. They put a price on his head. For 10 years, he was running and hiding till an acquaintance betrayed him. They caught him. They tied him to a post. They strangled him. They burned his body and they scattered his ashes and declared him a heretic. All because he wanted to make the scriptures available to ordinary people. Don't forget, church people did this. Not ordinary people. Church people did this. They executed a man for translating and distributing the words of Jesus in a language adults and children could read and understand. Because they wanted to protect their institution. Why the hatred of Tyndale burned so hot? Because they knew that once people had access to the scriptures, they would discover that the church of Jesus Christ had little resemblance to the 16th century church that they were organized and doing. More shocking, William Tyndale's translation did not include the word church or cliche. It actually translated ecclesia for gathering. But thanks to great men like Tyndale and Huss and Luther and other church people, the church that Jesus described began to take on the form of a movement once again. The reformation and revivals that happened all across the world as the Holy Spirit moved and God stirred up people's heart, the church drew back to Jesus' true intent to become a movement and no longer a location. Unfortunately, one of the last remaining things from the dark time was the word church. It became so entrenched in Christian culture and there was no way for us to go back. And so, we might have the word church, but we don't have to have the institution. We might have to deal with the structure of what it says, but we are a movement that was designed, orchestrated, and built by Jesus. And so we no longer have to be confined. Does that mean we don't have to gather? Absolutely not. Jesus said it's important that we gather. And yes, we need a building to gather. But you have to understand that the building is just a wall. It's just bricks and stone. The true church is you and me. We are the church. You are the church. And wherever you go, when you go out to your workplace, in your schools, in your universities, at the supermarket, wherever you are, you are the church. Don't think that you have to go somewhere to be the church. You are the church. So you are the living, breathing embodiment of Jesus as you walk in the world. You carry him with you because he is in you. You are his hands and his feet. You are the church. That is what Jesus described. That is what he wants us to be. To be beyond just coming to a place on Sunday, just thinking that if I show up on Sunday and then I go back to my life, I'm fine, everything's okay. That's not what Jesus called us to be. He called us to be living, breathing 
life-giving organisms to carry the great message of what he called us to do. And that's the message of the gospel. Yes, we gather. And yes, we need to get into a new building even. Because it's a place, a structure, but it's not the church. And that's why you've never seen me come up here and say we're going to move to a new church. Because we're not. We are the church. We're moving to a new building. It's a structure, but it's not the church. We're the church. No one can steal the church because no one can steal you. (laughs) No one can possess the church because no one possesses you. No one can own the church because no one owns you. You are free, the freedom and the liberty that Jesus purchased you for. He bought you with a price. And so church, what can we do? Let's bring this into our current context, right? Into our modern time, in our church, in our building, in our ecclesia. How do we adopt and fulfill Jesus' call? How do we do that? Are we satisfied? And I need you to think about this for honestly and look into your heart. Are you satisfied with coming here on a Sunday and feeling that somehow you've accomplished something? Is that what you want to do in life? And then you live your life from Monday to Saturday, do what you want, say what you want, do everything you need to do, but then you check in on a Sunday and go, okay, I'm good. Or are you the church? Are you the living, breathing church? This is a movement, it's people, it's gathering, it's power, it's wonderful, it's amazing, it's transformative, it's the thing that God gave birth to, it exists, Jesus prophetically declared it on Matthew 16, and it exists today, and it lives in you and me. We are the church. So are we ready to be the church? Are we ready to be what Jesus called us to be? And not just be like people, like you go to work and check in and show up and you're like, I checked in Monday. You know, I've checked in for the last four weeks. I should be fine. Because that's not what it's about. It's about who you are, where you are, whenever you are. So let's be the church, God's plan for the world. Amen. Are you ready to do that? And not just come to church, but be the church, which means you love, you embrace, you radically do things, you stretch your arms, you stretch your heart, and you embrace everyone, because that's what Jesus called us to do. We don't put a standard in place and go, you have to measure up, you have to look this way, dress this way, act this way, talk this way, before you can be part. No, we love you. Come on home, because that's what Jesus went to tell everyone. God is near And he wants to be part of your life. And that's what the church is. It's a manifestation, an extension of Jesus himself. And we are to declare, God is near. Come, we want to love you. I want to leave you with two questions I want you to think about this week. And I want you to really look into your heart and begin to ask yourself this question really. If you want to step into the movement that Jesus called you to and designed you for, This is what it is. Number one, are you organized around a mission or an antiquated model? What do I mean by that? Well, the model is on Sunday I go to church and then I do what I want during the week. But if I check in, I'm okay. Is your view that I'm on a mission every single moment of my life? 
that I'm empowered, called, equipped by Jesus, that wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, my mindset is this, that's how I think, that's how I act, that's how I live? Or is it, well, you know, I can show up to church on Sunday and it's okay. Are you living on a mission or are you living according to a model? Because Jesus talked about a mission, not a model. Not a place you go to. But the mission you live every single day. So I want you to read Matthew 16 again, what we talked about earlier. It's just four verses from 13 to 17. Read what Jesus actually said. And ask yourself, are you living according to God's mission? Or are you doing it just to fulfill a model? This is what I do on the weekend. Pray and ask God to speak into your heart. Take a few moments this week. Read that again, the words of Jesus. And ask yourself, are you on a mission? Or are you living an antiquated model? Number two, are we ecclesia or have we settled for cliche? Right? It's the same word translated, but it has two vastly different meanings. Ecclesia means movement. Cliche means building. So are you ecclesia or have we settled for cliche? Right? What are you doing in your personal life to carry the mission of Jesus? When you see someone, do you share? Do you talk? Do you talk about how God changed your life? How transformative your life has become? How amazing it is? Not every time, not every moment of your life is filled with, with happiness, but it can be filled with joy. Do you talk about who he is? Do you share who Jesus is? You don't even sometimes have to talk about him. You can demonstrate that by the way you live. And people can come and ask you, why are you so you know, different? Thank you. Why are you so different? What's attractive? Because remember, Jesus was vibrant and attractive. People followed him everywhere. And the church, which is his hands and feet and manifestation of who he is, should be just as attractive And we, the contents of his assembly, who is gathering, need to be just as attractive. So are we ecclesia or are we settled for cliche? Which one is it? Ask yourself this question this week. Are you ecclesia, Jesus talked about, or are you cliche that was substituted because they want people to go to a place they could own? Which one? Are you? Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.